for me, having that goal of monthly recurring revenue for the business is sort of like a, a focal point. It's my trajectory. It's, it's where I'm trying to build momentum toward so that I have a reason or a rationale for all of the decisions that I have to make. Like I'm making them against a goal. Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help consultants, coaches, entrepreneurs, and small business owners build their businesses after long careers as employees. We believe you should be able to do more of what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner-Kahn. Today on Smashing the Plateau, I'm speaking with founder and CEO of resident pixel company, Wayne Pelletier. In today's episode, you'll learn how you can create consistency and financial stability in a creative business where your competitors typically sell projects. Stay with us to hear all the details. How do you feel about where your business is today? Most of us do our best work in collaborative, supportive environments. Come explore ours. The Smashing the Plateau community can help you build your business through engaging discussions, live events, a private communication platform, accountability partners, and lots more. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome back Wayne Pelletier. After 25 years as a creative professional, Wayne founded Resonant Pixel Company just three years ago. The business experienced some early rapid growth, but it wasn't the business Wayne wanted. He has since transitioned the company into productized services, helping small businesses leverage the Squarespace platform to go from having an informational brochureware website to a transactional growth engine. Wayne, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me again. Oh, my pleasure. So the last time you were on our podcast, we talked about how you went from unemployment to getting your business up and running in just two months, which is actually pretty incredible. So let's start off with a reminder of just how you did that. Yeah, great. Yeah, you know, after a couple of months of contemplation, maybe just a couple of weeks of contemplation, I started to take action on getting to... Uh, having a business standing. And and the way that worked was largely a lot of exercise, running around, thinking, and then checking in with sort of my core values and what it was that I wanted to to build and create instead of driving across town and not owning my priorities and all of the things that come along with that kind of uh, commitment. So I was quick to, you know, do they file the SL? LLC, excuse me, and make sure that I was communicating with contacts and past clients and people that, you know, there was some amount of availability there to just start consulting right out of the gate, doing lots of different types of creative projects in order to help them from a branding and or marketing standpoint. So right, like you mentioned, right out of the gate, there were a few clients that were on board and really helped set a rapid early trajectory to viability and and some amount of stability. And I think that once I was up and running, that's when I was like, okay, now let's let's really figure out what we're designing here from a, a broader perspective. Right. So at what point did you start to realize that the business that you created so quickly wasn't exactly what you wanted? Uh Probably right around the points where it started to get a little nuts. 
once you have, and you know, everybody listening knows this, if you have a lot of customers paying you a small amount of money, it's easy to get extremely busy doing busy work or coordination and communication and spending less time just building and designing strategies, but also a lot less time building out processes and improving the quality of how things are delivered, not just the deliverable. Sort of the old working on the business versus working in the business challenge. So creating SOPs and hiring people to help me with specific tasks, like anyone, is all well and good if you're hiring someone that is knowledgeable and able to kind of jump in, roll their sleeves up and and start helping in a meaningful way. But it doesn't scale very well because as soon as you lose someone and everyone knows you have any amount of turnover and it can be pretty upsetting to a process. So I started narrowing the focus of what it was we were willing to do, you know, shedding off certain technologies and or media types in order to focus on things primarily that I enjoyed and making sure I was doing things or doing work that put me in conversations with people that I enjoy and the kinds of people and the kind of businesses that I enjoy interacting with. So what did you end up landing on? I know I mentioned in the intro, the Squarespace platform. Yeah. It's a software I like to use a lot because it solves a lot of really basic challenges for a lot of businesses, like a large swath of businesses. It doesn't do everything. In fact, a lot of the things that it does, it doesn't necessarily do best in class. But when it comes to having a secure and functional you know, website and or marketing materials, it's really great at getting out of the way. Instead of it being a series of stoppage and and certain number of check-ins for challenges from a technology or security standpoint, all this stuff's kind of taken care of. And now we're having productive conversations about, about what is next from a productivity standpoint, what the website can and should be doing for them instead of saying it's crashed or something like that. So I like the conversations and I like their target market of smaller to mid-sized businesses because I like those conversations a lot. Yeah. So the the challenge that you mentioned, Wayne, about working in your business versus working on your business is, you're right, it's a really common one. One of the things I see, particularly for folks like you and like me that have started their businesses after a long corporate career is casting a wide net, particularly initially, because you don't really know what's going to land and what's going to resonate with people, where the business is going to come from. And it is, um, you're 100% right that it is hard to actually scale a business that has that kind of complexity where you're doing many different things for different kinds of clients. Yeah, it's interesting when you work for a large company or even if you've been at another company for a long period of time, if you're not in the ownership group or if you weren't in the leadership group when a lot of the processes and or deliverables were established, you don't own those. You can contribute to them. And certainly you have lots of opportunity to contribute to change, but it's still a process of adapting something someone else made that you don't own. So when it comes to starting your business, especially in your career, you know how these processes work, but you haven't actually designed them from scratch all the time. Certainly not at scale for lots of different parts of the business, like accounting or, or, or finance or sales. It might be the creative process for others. So 
all of a sudden you find yourself designing processes or having to produce deliverables or some sort of functionality in an area of the business that may be interacted with before, but certainly didn't design from scratch. And, and now you not only design it from scratch, but you own it. So all of a sudden you learn a lot about how you design those types of things. And I learned a lot about how much I enjoy designing for different aspects of the business and areas of the business. And it taught me a lot about who to hire for what and where. And uh, yeah, it's a completely different view uh, from the top than it was from the bottom. Yeah. How did you learn how to design a process? Well, I suppose there's a process to it. (laughs) You know, after being in large marketing agencies and ad agencies for so many years, I've designed lots of processes. So it's really about um, this old exercise I have of drawing loops where, you know, that everything repeats. So instead of drawing things linearly, I draw things in loops to say, what's step one, two, 10, right? And then where are things breaking down and keeping track of that so that if there's a challenge in this area, like at five, and there are seven steps in the process, then uh, five doesn't just need to be adjusted. Four needs to be adjusted. But really, one is the one that needs to be adjusted. We're not asking the right questions right out of the gate. So I always go back to taking another look at any process that's not functioning, You know, whether it's automation in QuickBooks or customer deliverables or communications and that type of thing. And how did you learn how to hire somebody? Oh boy, that's a, that's a big question. I like that. Yeah, that's probably the hardest aspect of running any business. I suppose that varies to the degree to which your services vary. But I think that hiring people with a lot of experience is good to hit the ground running really quickly, right? No surprise there. But hiring someone just based on potential, while a little more difficult, can reap really great benefits for the business. So a lot of times I hire on attitude and their sort of way they communicate. The ability to write and the ability to communicate, not just with the written word, but enjoy communicating. You can kind of tell, I think, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe I've been deceived, but I've hired really well by hiring people that just communicate really well and and focusing less on their technical aspects, technical abilities. As long as the core is there, we can get them to the next level. That stuff is teachable. I can't teach somebody how to want it. Are there specific tests or ways that you're able to ascertain how well somebody can communicate? I often hire on contract. So what happens is there's usually a short-term project And it may not be unique to them. A lot of times I'll give the same project to a couple people and check the results, practice communicating with them, see what that looks and feels like. It's almost like a test drive and make sure that they get paid for the work. And it doesn't even have to be a real deliverable. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it's something I've already done before and it's in market, but I want to see how they'll function. And you give someone a small project and let them you know, do their best work and, and see how they take instruction and, and feedback and see how they communicate and how thorough they are with that. Yeah. What's been a, like a, an unexpected win in a hire for you? Unexpected. What do you mean by unexpected? Like, was I surprised by it? Yeah. Or maybe you got better results than you even anticipated. Yeah. That's happened both 
in my business now and in the past, uh, you know, a couple of decades, it's interesting in, in the creative space, and, and maybe it's not just designers and writers and, and people that work in a quote unquote creative space, but there are people who have incredible portfolios. So they're really good at putting together a resume and the bullet points are amazing. And oftentimes they can produce that kind of work with some regularity, but maybe not consistently. And then there are other books or portfolios that are okay, good, not amazing, but they produce that level of work every single day. Like that is their daily level of quality. And I have found those people create more consistency in deliverable than the people who have the incredible portfolios that also have bad days or inexplicable breakdowns uh, at times. That doesn't say everyone does on either end of those two spectrums, but I often get surprised by how consistent someone can be. I have uh, a woman working with me right now who is actually 12 hours time difference and the thoroughness with which she communicates and the how well she takes feedback is so strong that we're just now we're like texting each other about her cat and my family like we we're becoming fairly close just because her attitude is so good and she's so thorough with her communication that we're able to rapidly build a rapport you know just 6 months into the engagement that's pretty awesome and then how does that translate into client results well, anything that she can do, and the bulk of what she does is more of the maintenance work, some of the updates to things like add a new page, changes copy, change what this form goes to. A lot of times with a website, there's fairly mundane updates and edits. And there can be quite a few of those on any given day. It's nice to have somebody that I have a lot of confidence can go in and do that stuff right consistently. And then I can still assign more interesting things too, right? So the way I've broken things out from a team perspective is uh, instead of people having very specific vertical experience and they handle a project sort of beginning and soup to nuts, I've broke, broken the process down. So there's someone early in the process, someone kind of in the middle of the meat of the process and someone at the end of the process, which is largely me. So what happens is one person can do all of the build out of the early projects. And then another person can do the bulk of the productive area or space of the project. Right. And then I can come in and help out with a lot of the deliverable quality control and assurance, checking things, make sure it's right. So that isn't to say every project follows that exact process, but that is the goal. That's what we're, what we're shooting for. Yeah. And what made you decide to assign tasks in that form versus having one person responsible for a project from beginning to end? Because there are a lot of projects and a lot of clients. And if something was to break down, like if someone was to suddenly go out of communication for, for a short period of time, which has happened in the past, um, that entire project has stoppage. Whereas if it's just a phase of the project, I just have to fill in on that phase of the project, if that made any sense. Yeah, very smart. I'd love to hear a little more about your the thinking that you had that that led you to design your 
your delegation this way? Because it's it's pretty smart. I hope so. I've been on teams in the past. I've built out large creative departments where everything was so departmentalized, you know, that there was almost like it was almost combative between the teams. So if something didn't go right, it was like the blame game would fire off. So the alternative is to build pools of talent, right? All the project managers over here, all the writers over there, all of the designers in another corner. And that works well to a point when then it becomes problematic. But you can also build teams around each client. And in those verticals, you have one designer, one writer, one project manager, you know, and one media person and, and whatever. And those teams can only handle so much work. So it doesn't scale. Now you're building out a certain number of teams and now you have quality control issues across all of those accounts. So what I'm hoping I've done is built a happy medium. Yeah. So now that you're three years in, how are things going? Pretty well. You know, I talked on the last, uh, the last show about not riding the highs too high and not taking the lows down too low and trying to remain, remain sort of even keeled because there's always something around the corner that is good or bad or a challenge or, or whatever. And the emotional roller coaster can be pretty real. And now that I'm three years in, I think I've done a pretty good job of that. There are always times when we all break down on our own advice, I suppose. But I would say that backing into niching, I suppose is the better word for it, for uh, productized services has helped me create more consistency from a process and a deliverable standpoint. It's helped me protect the business a little bit from maybe opportunities that aren't the best idea that a generalist firm might take on. But it's also helped create consistency from a revenue standpoint. Sort of the idea that a project-based business, like a creative firm, monthly recurring revenue is sort of like this holy grail. It's a really difficult thing to do with projects. You can have retainers that span a certain amount of time, but it's not the exact same thing as productization where the result and or the deliverable and the expectation is really all sized the same. So there's some nuance there because retainers are often still based on time and materials. So for me, having that goal of monthly recurring revenue for the business is sort of like a, a focal point. It's my trajectory. It's, it's where I'm trying to build momentum toward so that I have a reason or a rationale for all of the decisions that I have to make, like I'm making them against a goal. So at this point in your evolution, how do you describe your ideal client? Really a small to mid-sized business that is struggling with WordPress their designer or developer is gone, completely out of communication or interacting with them has become problematic. Well, the security of the site is problematic. It's broken down because there haven't been updates. A lot of those small to mid-sized businesses are challenged. They all got fed this line that WordPress is free, which is crazy because you paid somebody to put it together for you, or that it's SEO friendly, which is crazy because what web page is an SEO friendly? I mean, I get technical aspects of it, but you know, there's no overcoming bad content. You can have all the metadata you want. And the idea that you have to pay someone this large lump sum just to earn the right to pay them small lump sums every time you need something done. So what I've done is create something where my ideal client enjoys 
not having to write a large lump sum check and not having to have anxiety around asking the business to make updates to their site and not knowing how much that's going to cost. All of my customers are the exact same priority. All my best customers. So, right. So I'm not stopping a $10,000 job to help somebody for 150 bucks. Now our values are aligned and they can be productive in their business. I'm proactive in helping the businesses as much as I can be. Certainly the ones inside of the subscription service are. So my ideal client is a small business that just wants this thing to work so they can do their work out in the field instead of sitting on a Zoom call with a designer and wondering why things aren't working. And what do you see coming up in the future? Where would you like to take things? Well, new customers is always good. (laughs) I would say, uh, (laughs) I know, right? Right. Isn't that always true? Yeah. Well, you know, at each certain number of additional subscriptions to the productized service, each one of those milestones I already have mapped out for specific hires and for specific additions to the business that help improve the deliverable, but also help improve the quality of the service and remove me more from the day-to-day so that I can run the business, do more marketing, do more sales, and focus on, on growth. And I think that that is sort of what's next for me. Okay, that's good. One last question, which um, I'd love to talk a little bit about your experience as a business owner with community. And you've been a member of the Smashing the Plateau community since the beginning, and you're pretty active. But I'd love to hear a little bit about how the, your interaction with community has been helpful to you. Oh, I'd love to talk about that. It's been tremendously helpful. And I, I think we mentioned that on the, on the last time I was on, that you know I'm pretty extroverted and the whole pandemic and then going into business for myself just kind of shut down the whole getting coffee in the office and saying hello to people thing. So it really became important to have community as part of my day-to-day. So I've enjoyed being a member of the Smash and the Plateau community. There are so many great folks in there that I've learned a ton from. But interacting with people that are in my industry produces one sort of type of value, right? And the other one is a local community that I'm in that is very community-based from a more local narrative standpoint. And that produces a certain amount of value. Certainly, the happy hours are better. And then the Smash and Plateau community has been great because I get to interact with people that are not in my vertical. So now the value exchange is even different from the industry-specific community because now I'm providing industry knowledge to people that may not know how to bank together a website or put together content for marketing and, and type of things that I know inside and out, right? So it's really nice to learn from them as well about writing books or long-form content or producing different types of processes for new business in ways that I had not thought of before because I just don't come from the industries that they come from. So it's been a really solid exchange. And it's great for me as an extrovert to interact with other people uh, because it it gives me energy. Sounds good. Thank you. Wayne, if somebody wants to go deeper with anything we've talked about today, access any of your content or learn more about you and your business and kinds of 
of businesses you serve, where would be the best place for them to go? The best place for information would definitely be resonantpixel.co. And there's a newsletter sign up there. It's a pretty new process, but I'm really enjoying putting that content together. And it was a huge goal of mine to achieve and, and I knocked that out. So that's, that feels really great to have people subscribe to that gives me all the warm fuzzies. And LinkedIn is also a pretty solid place. I'm pretty active in there, even though I don't post a lot. I use DM like every day I've got people DMing me in there. So it is productive uh, way to communicate. And I'm always open to connect with people that aren't there just to sell me something. Sounds good. Um, well, Wayne, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us again on Smashing the Plateau and share your experiences and your insights. My guest today has been the founder and CEO of Resonant Pixel Company, Wayne Pelletier. Thank you, Wayne, for joining us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. On today's episode with Wayne Pelletier, we learned how you can create consistency and financial stability in a creative business where your competitors typically sell projects. How do you feel about where your business is today? Most of us do our best work in collaborative, supportive environments. Come explore ours. The Smashing the Plateau community can help you build your business through engaging discussions, live events, a private communication platform, accountability partners, and lots more. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com. I'm David Schreiner-Kahn. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.